Well, good morning to you all. It's nice to see some new faces. For those who don't know us, Judy and I have actually been attending here for quite some time, but we're normally in the first service. And so it's nice to see new faces. I ask, uh, when they ask me about what kind of introduction I would like, I really wanted to mention my anniversary, because I know some of you have been married, you know, much longer than we have. But of course, we dated for a few years before we got married. So we've been together 40 years. Now, if you needed any evidence of a miracle that Jesus can perform miracles, he convinced her to stay with me for nearly 40 years. It doesn't get much better than that. And all the men said, amen. So you, you know. <laughs> but it is a pleasure uh, to be here. So let's just kind of jump into it. We'll look at the, the message that changed the world. Look at your insert, Matthew 28. And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all the things that I've commanded you. And, lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. There are a few dates, at least to Americans, that are etched forever, if not in our memories, at least from our studies of history. We're coming up on one, July the 4th. We all know what July the 4th is about, and that's the, when we celebrate the independence of our nation. Another one that, that maybe one or two of you actually remember, but most of us have studied, and that's December 7th, 1941. Remember the attack on, on Pearl Harbor, and that one is etched in, in our nation's history. There's another one more recent, September the 11th, 2001. Most of us are old enough to remember that date. 19 radical militants attacked our nation, and they changed our world forever. They instantly stopped every flight in America, shut down the FAA. They changed the way we fly. For the, for the younger folks that are with us, you won't remember this. Uh, many of us will. There was a time when you could just go to the airport, buy a ticket, and get on a plane. You didn't have to bring your entire life's history documentation to buy a plane ticket. There was a time when if you were picking somebody up at the airport, you could go all the way to the gate, meet them at the gate, help them carry whatever it is they might want to carry. Now, this is going to shock some of you. There was a time when they served real food on airplanes. <laughs> and they would give you a knife and fork. Real knives and forks. Can you imagine just handing those out to everybody? Times have changed. They not only changed the way we fly, they changed the way we conduct business today. Even small businesses today that maybe only have four or five employees, they have ID cards and security systems and cameras everywhere. And they changed the world with a radical dedication, we'll call it, 
to a false God that doesn't even exist. Thinking to the scripture we just read, imagine what would happen in our world if a building full of Jesus followers went out into the world with that same radical dedication to the one true living God who has power and authority over all the earth. Imagine the impact we could have on society. We could change the world we live in. Amen? That's what happened in the first century. When Jesus issued this command that we call the Great Commission, he had just been resurrected. He'd been on earth for a few weeks. He was about to be ascended into heaven. And these were some of his final instructions to his followers. And they took this that we call the Great Commission and the gospel of Jesus Christ. And beloved, they changed the whole world. At the time, the Roman government was one of the most powerful governments the world had ever seen. And that government tried to wipe out Christians. Can any of us associate with that today? We have a government that's trying to wipe out Christians. Amen? These people defeated that first century government. Every Caesar threw them to the lions. They burned their bodies on poles. They beheaded them in the public square. They confiscated their property. They sold them into slavery. They even outlawed the very mention of the name Jesus. And less than 200 years later, the Roman government gave up and joined the church. They changed the world through the power of this gospel. These radical men and women would not be denied because they had a personal relationship with Jesus Christ that could not be denied. All but one of the apostles died a martyr's death. Most of you know the history. Peter was crucified upside down. Paul was beheaded. Only John the apostle lived to a ripe old age and he was banished to the Isle of Patmos. Caesar said, we can't kill him, so we're going to shut him up. And on that island, he wrote the revelation of Jesus Christ. They changed the world. And one of the most incredible parts of this story is that you would think, humanly speaking, even if the gospel message was true, and it was, that at least one of them would deny Christ when faced with such a horrible martyrdom, and yet not one ever denied Jesus Christ. They went to their death calling Jesus by name. And what began as a, as a collection of ragtag, beggarly looking fishermen and Zionists, some of them were, they changed the world with the gospel message. They changed everybody's lives with the power of Jesus Christ. Which leads me to my first challenge to us. This is a hard thought. This one that occurred to me not too many years ago. If the God you're worshiping cannot change the world through you, you're worshiping an idol. It's amen or oh my. The God we worship 
can change this nation, this state, this city, this community through one man or one woman who will be a radical follower of Jesus Christ. That's the challenge that the church, not just Chartel, the body of Christ has. Do we really believe that the God who led these first century Christians is still alive? Do we really believe that the Jehovah God that they worship and that we worship is still in the miracle working business? Do we really believe in the power of the gospel, the good news message of Jesus Christ? If the answer is yes, then beloved, we can change the world. That's the power of the God that we serve. And so then the question before us is, is how do we do that? And I think we find the answer to that question in the text that we just read, what we call the Great Commission. The, there are four great all statements that Jesus gave those, and that's what I want us to focus on this morning. The first one is, Jesus says, I have all authority in heaven and in earth. Some biblical translations for authority say power. They're kind of wrapped up in the same thing. Jesus says, I have all power and I have all authority in heaven and in earth. Now, this is not a trick question. If Jesus has all power and authority, how much does the enemy have? None. Amen? Jesus has all power and all authority. He didn't have some power. He didn't have overwhelming power. He has all power and authority. This is kind of illustrated for us in the Old Testament in the book of Joshua. We're told the story about how five, there was a five-king confederacy, five pagan nations. When they saw how strong Israel was as they marched into the promised land, they formed a confederacy. These five kings did, and they came to battle against Joshua and against the Israelites. And the Israelites defeated them completely. But for some reason, the, the soldiers, particularly the commanders of the Israeli army, were still afraid of these five kings. And so Joshua had the five kings brought before them, and one at a time, he had them pushed to the ground, and he told the leaders of the army, he said, put your foot on them. Put your foot on their head and on their neck. He was demonstrating they had total control. They had completely defeated the enemy. And that's the Old Testament example of what total defeat looks like. Now let's fast forward to the New Testament. Ephesians 1.22 says, God has put all things under the authority of Christ and has made him head over all things for the benefit of who? The church. Us. God has put, God the Father, all things under God the Son for our benefit. Hebrews 2.8. You, God the Father, have put all things in subjection under his feet. For in that he put all things in subjection under him. He left nothing that is not under him. Beloved, when Jesus defeated Satan on the cross, he literally put him under his feet. He defeated him completely. And so when Jesus said, I have all power and all authority over the enemy, 
He was saying the enemy is completely subjected to me. And when the apostles would go out into the world and they would take the good news, the gospel message, and the enemy would come up against them, they could say, my master, my Jesus has complete authority over you. Church, we can say the same thing. We serve the same Jesus they served. And when the enemy comes against us, we can say with tremendous confidence, my Jesus has all power and all authority over you. You see, sometimes I think we forget part of who Jesus is. We call him Lord, and we should. He is our Lord. We call him Savior, and we should. He is our Savior. But, beloved, he's also the king. The king of kings. There is no other greater than him. And so he has power over all of the enemy, including the enemy of fear. When we're afraid of what's going on in our society or in our families, Jesus has all power and all authority over the fear. He has all authority and power over rejection. He has all power and authority over failure. Nobody raise your hand here. How many of us have never failed? But all of us know the feeling of the enemy bringing that failure up against us. Oh, I remember the time. I don't know if you're like me. I'll, I'll make a confession here. Your greatest failures come when somebody on the highway is driving 40 miles an hour in the passing lane. Don't you wish you had rocket-mounted launching system on your car? Just one time. <laughs> the enemy will bring that up to you. Well, here you are, Mr. Christian man. I see what you're thinking. I see what you said. Some failures for some of us have been far worse than that, and the enemy will bring them up against us. All oh, but church, we can say, my Jesus has power and authority over even that failure. And so my challenge to all of us, Chartel, is do we carry inside us the power to change the whole world? Jesus has power over all things, past and present. God has, the Father has given Jesus, the power over all those things that would come against us. The guilt, the inferiority, all of the sins of the past. All things. Jesus has power and authority over them. When the Caesars came against the apostles and threatened them, they would say, my Jesus has power and authority over you. He had power and authority over all of that government. And they walked in that belief. Beloved, I don't know if you've thought about it lately, but our Jesus has power and authority over the White House. Our Jesus has power and authority over all Democrats and all Republicans and all of the others who filter in there. He has power and authority over our government, but he chooses to operate to exercise that power and authority through us. 
That's part of the reason why when the disciples came to him and said, Lord, teach us to pray, you remember the Lord's Prayer, and there is that line in there that says, we pray that your will will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The prayer is that Jesus' will, Jesus' power and authority will be completely exercised on earth through us. And when the enemy would come against Peter or Paul or one of the other apostles, they would declare, no matter what came against them, my Jesus has power over that. Beloved, he still does. Our Jesus has power and authority over everything around us and he has the power and authority, listen to this, to change it immediately. Even faster than these 19 radicals change things around us, God can change things faster and with more power and with more authority. The question before the church is, are we operating and living in that power and authority? We serve a God who has all power and all authority to change the world. There is one other great promise of that, and you know the verse. He has power and authority over our eternity. Amen? Romans 8, 28. And I'm convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither Fears today or our worries about tomorrow nor even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. Have you ever meditated on what a great promise that is? There is absolutely nothing that can come against us that will separate us from God's love. And when the first century Christians were faced with, with torture and with death and being killed, they could look up to heaven and say, I know my God still loves me. That's what John was talking about when he wrote in 1 John, talking about Jesus. He said, I know him, and more importantly, he knows me. If you're a child of God, you know him, and more importantly, he knows you. And like the apostles, we can walk in that truth with every fiber of our being knowing that absolutely nothing can come against us that will cause Jesus to ever quit loving us. We have this power and authority. The problem for many of us, and I certainly include me in the, in the us, is our vision is often too small. Folks, we serve a big God. We serve a great God. I serve a God big enough to conquer all things and to exercise power over all things through me, not because of anything in me, but because how great he is. Amen? The God we serve has all power and all authority to change all things through even one radical woman or man who will step out in the truth of Jesus Christ. The second great all that Jesus said was to go to all nations and baptize them and make disciples. The command is to go. Very few people actually get saved in the, in the Sunday morning service in church. Most people get saved out there 
because they run into Christians. They run into somebody who's radical enough to tell them that Jesus loves them and that they need him. We have to go to the people who need him most. You know the history. Peter went to the Pharisees. He went to the Sadducees. He went to the Jewish leaders. But he also went to the fishermen and the shepherds and the carpenters. Paul went to the Gentiles, the group that he hated most, and shared the power of the gospel message. Jesus is telling us, go somewhere to someone. Tell them that only Jesus can change their lives. This is the message the apostles used to change the world. Do we have in our very heart and in our soul the message that will change the world? Do we have the courage to tell someone that Jesus loves them and they have no hope in all eternity except the gospel of Jesus Christ? Folks, I want to tell you, the, the power of the gospel message can melt the heart of that wayward child you have. The power of the gospel message can change that hard-to-love co-worker that you have. And if most of us were honest, we would have to say we've learned that the power of the gospel message can change a hardened sinner like me if he can save me he can save those people out in the world and after we go to all of the nations and we take this gospel message we're challenged we're commanded to make disciples of them this is really not that hard to do this is what Paul was talking about in 1 Corinthians when he, when he told the church at Corinth I urge you, imitate me. Can you imagine saying that to somebody? Hey, look, watch my life. Live like me. No, because I know me. But remember, Paul had spent more time at the church of Corinth than he did any other church. They knew him. They knew he wasn't perfect. They, they knew his foibles and the things that he did wrong, but they also knew if they followed him, he would lead them to Jesus. That's what making disciples is all about. It's just telling people, follow me to Jesus. If God can change me, if God can save me, if God can make my life joy and give me a life of hope, he can do the same thing for you. That's making disciples. It's like raising children. Those of us who've, who've raised children or even grandchildren, you know the old saying, there's more caught than taught. Amen? The people who live with us know what we're like. They know whether or not Jesus has really changed our lives. So will spiritual children. So will those around us who work with us, who live with us, who are in the communities with us. It will change the world by showing them how much Jesus loves them. And the world will look at us like they did the apostles. The world looked at the apostles and said, I want what you have. I want your joy. I want your peace. I want your love. That's making disciples. We're to live in such a way that people walk up to us and say, I want what you have. How can I get what you have? Let the world see Jesus in you. 
Not long ago, my wife and I were at a restaurant in Texas and we were eating and a family got, just after we got there, got seated near us and they had three young children. The oldest one couldn't have been more than eight or nine years old. And when their food was delivered, they asked the youngest little girl to pray. She was maybe four years old. And they all held hands and prayed. And you could tell this was not the first time this little girl prayed. As a matter of fact, Judy and I kind of chuckled at each other. We said, don't ask that girl to pray if you're hungry. Because you're not going to eat for a little while. What were they doing? They were discipling them. They were bringing them into a relationship with Jesus Christ. Beloved, you don't need a seminary degree to disciple people. You don't have to be an expert in Greek and Hebrew and know all of the nuances of Scripture to disciple people. You just love them. You just take them to Jesus and it will change the world. And then Jesus says, as you're doing that, baptize them. Baptism is first and foremost, just, it's a method of identification. It's a way of saying, I belong to Jesus Christ. I renounce the way I used to be and the way I used to live. And now I will follow Jesus Christ. But it's more than that. Baptism is a way of welcoming people into the family. I don't know if you've ever thought about it, but you and I are family with everybody who is a child of Jesus Christ. Amen? Welcome them into the family. How will they know we're part of the family? Jesus told us in John chapter 13, you know the verse. The world will know your mind by how you love. By the way you love each other. By the way you treat each other. That's discipling. That's going to all the world and baptizing them. Beloved, that's what we're commanded to do. That will change the world. The third great all that Jesus gives us in that great commission is teach them to observe all things that I've commanded. Please take note that Jesus said commanded and not suggested. It's often been said this is not the great suggestion. He didn't say read my word, study the Greek, figure out what I was trying to say, and then once you got that, try to figure out a way to fit it into your life. No, he said, I've commanded you to act on, observe all of these things. I was in the Navy for six years. And I will never forget, there was an old crusty master chief. For those unfamiliar with rank in the Navy, master chief is as high as you could go. And I will never forget this man. Many times I heard him say it. When he told somebody to do something, if they didn't snap to it as quickly as he thought they should or... Maybe they were a little slow at getting it done. I, I'll never forget his words. He would grab them and say, I'm sorry, did I make that sound like a request? <laughs> For those of you with a military background, you'll understand that. This was not a request from Jesus. We are to carefully observe, act on all things, all of Jesus' words. This is what Pastor Steve was referring to in his blog yesterday. 
you know, I was thinking he might be watching this, so I want to read part of his blog so he'll know I read it. But he was talking about learning a hard truth from Jesus. And he says, is there a truth running, excuse me, is there a truth you're running from rather than running to? God's only desire is to make you into the man or woman of God he created you to be. Let his truth challenge you. Let it change you. You can handle the truth. But you'll have to let it hurt you before it can heal you. Yes, it's a hard pill to swallow. But it's the one pill that can make you well. Observe, act on all things that Jesus has commanded us. Now, if you, we're not going to do it today, but if you, maybe when you get home, turn over to 1 Corinthians and start reading in chapter 12, 13, and 14, and so on, about the gifts of the Spirit, what you'll find there is there is no gift of obedience. That's not some kind of divinely inspired gift that only the special people get. All of us are commanded to follow, observe, act on all of Jesus' commandments. That's what will change the world. That's what people will look at and say, I want part of what you have. And we need to share it with them because we know, amen, that the, the greatest joy in life is being in lockstep with Jesus. Amen? When we walk the path he's given us, when we do the things that he's commanded us to do, why would we not want to? Share that with others. Why are we so timid about going to other people and saying, let me show you God's word and and what he commands us to do. It's absolutely the best way to live. And then we can share with them the gospel truth, the power of Jesus. You all know it. Say it with me. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but will have everlasting life. Folks, that's as complicated as it gets. That's the gospel message we take to people. If we can bury that truth in their heart and in their soul, it will change their life. There is no other message that will change the world but that God loves you with an everlasting love. So we've seen the first three great alls. Jesus has all power and authority. Go to all nations. Teach all things. And the fourth one is, He is with us always. Matthew 28, verse 20. He said, I will be with you always. You are never alone. You're never by yourself as we go out into the world. Hebrews 13.5 says, Let your conduct be without covetousness. Be content with such things as you have, for he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And he goes on to say, So we may boldly say, The Lord is my helper. I will not fear what man can do to me. We have Jesus with us all the time. Now, let me try to illustrate that for you a little bit. You notice a lot of my illustrations have to do with lunch. So I was having lunch with a friend of mine, Mexican restaurant just down the road, and there was a table that were seated six police officers. 
And I noticed one of the police officers was a small, petite woman. Late 20s, maybe. Five foot three, maybe. 125 pounds if you count all of the stuff that she was, you know, their guns and all that kind of thing. Physically, not an imposing looking woman. And most of us would have to say that if of her own power, she tried to have some sort of a physical contest, most of us think we would win that contest. We could defeat her. See, the problem is, though, she's got that badge. That badge represents power and authority. It represented the authority to carry that gun that she had. It represented the authority to carry that mace stick that she had. It also represented the authority of all the other police officers around her. All of a sudden, that five foot three, 120 pound woman became pretty imposing because of the badge. Beloved, you and I have a badge of Jesus Christ. In and of ourselves, we're not very imposing to the enemy. But with Jesus Christ, who is with us always, we can't be beaten. Because he has all power and all authority. That's how Peter was able to be crucified upside down. Jesus was with him. That's how Thomas was able to be sawed in half. That's how Peter was able to be beheaded. That's how all Christians who change the world around them are able to go out into that, into that world with this power and authority, making disciples, because they know that Jesus is with them always. So I asked the question earlier, can the power, the God that is in us, change the world around us through us? And the answer is yes. He can. A thousand times yes. We have that power. We have that authority to change the world around us. Most of us can look across our nation and, and we can list all of the things that are wrong with it. But let us not forget. We have the power to fix it. It's like the difference between a thermometer and a thermostat. A thermometer, if we brought one in here, I have no idea what the temperature is in here, but if we brought one in here, it could tell us what the temperature was. And if it started getting hot and uncomfortable and we were all breaking out in a sweat, the thermometer could do nothing about it except just keep telling us, hey, it's hot. Oh, but the thermostat is plugged into a power source. The thermostat can tell us how hot it is, but it can also do something about it. Beloved, you and I are plugged into a power source. Jesus Christ, who has all power and all authority to change all things around us. And we can give this message to the poor, to the rich, the sick, the healthy. We can preach healing and restoration and eternal salvation with faith, not in ourselves, not in our own power, but in the power of Jesus Christ, who has ultimately deceived the enemy. In just a couple of moments, Pastor Chuck is going to come and sing and, and lead us in a closing song. There may be some here this morning, though, 
who have not yet asked Jesus into your heart. And if that's you, then you are powerless. And you have no hope. But John 3.16 is for you. For God so loved you that he gave his son that you might have eternal life and eternal salvation. I invite you to accept Jesus today. Don't step out these doors without having the power of Jesus alive in you. For the rest of us, I want to I challenge you. I know it sounds grandiose. And if we're not careful, it sounds kind of prideful. I can change the world. Because we know us. We know we can't. But the God we serve can change the world through you. He can rescue a city, a state, and a nation through you. And I invite you to plug into that power source. Submit yourself completely to Jesus Christ today and watch things around you change. Let's stand and pray. Our Father God in heaven, Lord, forgive us of our complacency. Forgive us of our laziness. Lord, forgive us for not recognizing the wonderful gift that you have given us. Father, we pray for every person here to have that anointing that followed the apostles. Father, we pray for that power that followed them, that we can claim the same world-changing victory in your name. Father, we pray that Jesus will be glorified in everything that we say and do. And we ask that in his name. Amen.